0: As Phil noticed, you know, there are a few more people every week coming here to be here in person. And if you're a new person, you know, we sometimes forget to say this because, you know, it's such a small group. But if you want to know more about our church, what we do during the week, this is not church. This is our worship service. And we have um, our church is our community of faith, the life that, that we live together, which is hard to do now. But if you want to know more about that, we just invite you to, you know, there's a card there. You, you can fill it out. And when you go out, just drop it in the offering plate on the way out. Or you can come talk to me and, and tell us how you want to, us to contact you. We never, like, are going to, like, contact you unless you tell us how you want to be contacted. And we'd love to, um, to let you know more about, about what goes on here and what this uh, community of faith is all about. Well, here we are, we're moving through James, we're almost halfway through, and, and again, we've been talking about the connection between true faith and, and works. And today, we're going to get this this look at, the, at what kind of work that the faithful do. And so I thought I would start off with these pictures. Uh, these pictures will show you the typical diversity of our church because you probably don't recognize all of them, but you should recognize at least one, okay? So you know so you should recognize at least one. I even got somebody from, I think, 50s, 60s TV, uh, Marcus Welby there in the middle. So, so everybody should recognize these are TV doctors, okay? And so the question I have with these TV doctors is, what do all these TV doctors have in common? Anybody know? They're not real doctors, okay? <laughs> They are, they play doctors on TV, but they're not real doctors. In fact, uh, um, it wasn't Marcus Welby who originated this, but he's on internet, the legend is he did. But there was a commercial that came out in the 80s, and the, um, and it just tells you the mindset of people, and it was a doctor from these, um, from soap operas. And he had to say this, he had to say, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. And why did he have to say that? Because people thought like, you know, he's a, he's a doctor. In fact, Marcus Welby used to, you know, the guy Robert Johnson who played Marcus Welby used to do commercials. And, and he would do commercials about health things even though he had no experience in health. But they're all Doctors and why aren't you know I mean they're all TV doctors but they're not doctors and why not well because they wanted to act like doctors but they didn't want to be doctors they wanted to be um, actors right that's and that's what they were and I, I use that as an illustration because I think there's a lot of people in the world and I would include in people in the world Christians they they don't mind acting like God. But they don't want to be like God. They, they don't mind acting. They don't mind, you know, sometimes, and I, by acting like God, I don't mean like they think that they're God or they think like, oh, I'm the most powerful. But they don't mind doing like acts of kindness or helping others or, or you know, teaching, making a difference. They don't mind doing that. And again, a lot of Christians are this way. But they don't want to be like God. And by be like God, what I mean is they don't, they don't want his heart. Because if you have the heart and mind of God, as we're going to, you know, look at, it's going to lead you to uncomfortable places. And it's going to lead you not just to, to do the acts that you find, like, oh, yeah, I like, uh, I'm willing to do that but it's to do things that you personally are not willing to do. So one of the things that we're trying to do is to understand the relationship between faith and works, and that's what James is unpacking for us. He's unpacking, you know, how do faith and works connect, and he's focusing more on the work side. And he's told us like these three major ways. You know, one is our words, which are connected to not just what we say, but what we think and what we feel. So he's saying true faith will change what you think, feel, and then of course, what you say. He's saying that true faith will change your values. You will no longer go along with what the world values and do things the way the world does things and on the, the reason and the motivation the world does things. Instead, you will do them for a new reason and you will do them because of what, of, of what God does and why Jesus does things. And then the third one is, is mercy and showing mercy to people and especially, and he especially directs it to those who are most in need. And you know, he's he's had this this example that he gave in the first part of chapter two, and then he, he provides this bridge verse. This bridge verse in in is verse thirteen, and we talked about it last week, which is kind of summed up in that idea, Mercy over judgment. Mercy over judgment. And and it's not about, you know, determining You know, who deserves your help? It's not that. It's not the ones who are most likely to respond to your help. No, it's mercy over judgment. But I want you to understand a little bit about what that term means, mercy over judgment. The idea of judgment has this implication that there is actually something that's right and something that's wrong. And in fact, it's not simply that there's something that's right, but it also implies that there's someone who is right. It's, the, it's this word that's become almost a negative bad word in our world today, and it's this word absolute, that there is absolute truth. There is such a thing as absolute right and wrong, and there also is this absolute being the Bible tells us is God and we've kind of left that behind and here's the problem you see even if I bring in the idea of mercy over judgment and I leave that absolute part behind then what well what happens is guess who then becomes the sole arbiter of judgment and dispenser of mercy well I do or you do It's up to me, it's up to me to decide like who I'm gonna extend mercy to, who I'm gonna extend judgment to. We don't have the example of a merciful God who extends mercy even to his enemies. We don't have that. We don't have the example of the merciful God who extends his mercy even to those who are not useful even to the weak and the impoverished. We don't have that. And so I might decide to do it. I might say that that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to extend mercy to them. But it's purely my decision. Or it's your decision. So what we consider mercy, what we consider gen, you know, um, judgment, it's going to be totally up to us. There's no compelling reason to show mercy to everyone, and there's a very tenuous reason to show mercy to anyone. Not that we can't manufacture them, but we're not gonna show mercy to everyone. And we see this playing out in our society today. Remember, Christians don't go by the world values. The high call of being a Christian is that you love with God's love. Unconditional, sacrificial. And you love everybody perfectly all the time. You love everybody perfectly all the time. You don't get to show partiality. You don't get to love some and not the others. You don't get to love some imperfectly and others more perfectly. We love everybody perfectly all the time. And we do it not because we're, we're trying to do something outside of ourselves. What the Bible tells us is we do it It's because that's now who we are. We have been changed. We have been transformed. We have the Spirit. And the Spirit has poured out God's love upon us. And now we pour that love out to the world. But we love everybody perfectly all the time. Again, just that phrase should be enough to make you so incredibly humble. It's just, it should be more than enough to let you know why we need God. Because you know you can't do it, and I know I can't do it. And what we see playing out in our society is you have to choose certain people. And so you can show, you know, you have to choose like, oh, I'm gonna show love and mercy to the oppressed, but not love and mercy To the oppressor. I'm going to choose the people that I think deserve my love and my mercy and my attention, but it's going to be at the expense of someone else. And again, this is what the world does. If you're going to do it, do it, but don't identify yourself as a Christian. Don't drag Jesus Christ's name into choosing sides and and showing partiality. Please, do it on your own. Put your name on it for all you want. Don't attach YLI Baptist Church to it. If you're going to do it, fine. You've chosen a side. But as believers in Jesus Christ, what we see James is saying is you cannot do that. You have to find a way to help the poor, to help the oppressed without showing partiality. It doesn't make sense for James to say, no partiality. There's no partiality in God, no partiality from Jesus Christ. So go help the poor and be biased against everybody else. If this makes sense to anybody, please come talk to me afterwards because I'm not, I may be totally illogical here. But we have to show love perfectly all the time to everyone. Well, we come to the text. And here in the text, uh, after that bridge verse, James brings another example. And he says here, he says, In verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead." Again, people will take this and, and they, they, I don't know, understand because it seems really clear in the context, but they'll take this and they'll say like, oh, as Christians, we, you know, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't like share the gospel with people. We should just give them food and clothes. And maybe someday down the line, we'll share the gospel with them. But you know, up front, we should just meet their physical needs. That's what James is saying. That's not what James is saying. James is telling us that if you have true faith, then what you should want to do is you should want to meet their immediate needs, which in this case is clothes and food, but also their long-term needs, whatever they might be, and their eternal needs. Get it? all three of those it's their immediate needs their long term needs and then their eternal needs I'm telling you I, I, I use this phrase sometimes that, that this, is, this is big boy big girl Christianity okay this isn't you know we need to have Christianity for to tell people who are just new in their faith we need that and, you know, we need sermons like that. We need churches that focus on that. But this is big boy, big, big girl Christianity. This doesn't give like a simple solution. Oh, I, I, I gave some food. That's all I got to do. I'm done. I'm good. You know, I went on a mission trip, spent a good six or seven days over there, helped out, and now I'm back. I'm good. I got some pictures. I got some good memories. I'm good. I got it. That's what we do. We also do things like, well, you know, um, I went into this area and we we shared the gospel. But as I used to tell our groups that we took to Haiti, what I used to tell them is 90% of what we do in that week, 90% of it or more, it's going to be like it never happened in a year. It's like it never happened. Everything we fixed is going to break again. All the good memories that we shared with other people, they're going to be replaced. They're going to be forgotten. It's not just about the immediate. It's not just about the eternal. It's not just about long-term thinking about how to really help people. It's, It's all of it. As Christians, we're called to do all of it. And so he's, he's, he's making this, this point, but he's making it by doing this kind of more obvious thing. What if you just had good thoughts about somebody but didn't meet their needs? But there's something else that people are missing. He is using that illustration, and it's an important illustration, but he's using that illustration not simply to teach us about meeting needs. He's actually using that illustration to tell us what true faith is. If you look at how it ends, he goes, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What is he saying? Well, he's, he's comparing here good thoughts that you have well wishes that you have to people that where you're ignoring and meeting their needs, he's saying, what good are those good thoughts and well wishes? What good is that I'll pray for you if you're not willing to lift a finger for the person? What good is that? And by the way, people who are already thinking like, but prayer means something. Yeah, prayer does mean something. Don't, I'm not saying prayer doesn't mean anything. I'm just saying what James is saying is, if, what good is it? And, and the point is, it's, it's no good. It's, it's empty thoughts. It's empty words. And now he's making that comparison to faith. Faith that's just words. Faith that's just thoughts. Faith that you can, you can express and you can expound upon that doesn't result in actions that meet needs, that show the living out of that faith, that faith is just like those empty words. It's an empty faith. It's a dead faith. So he's not just talking about meeting needs. He's also talking about faith itself. There's a lot of people who can click off all the boxes of what they believe. Oh, I believe in God. I believe he's the Trinity. I believe in the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ. I believe in the Bible. You know, I believe we should go to church. I believe and all these things. They can, they can click them all off. And James is saying all of that is worthless. His words, not mine. It's worthless. If it doesn't change your life in such a way that it results in acts of mercy acts of love. It's crazy. Well, the next section says this, but someone will say, now James is actually introducing like this new thought, he's kind of hypothetical thought, saying someone will say you have faith and I have works. And then James says, well, you know what I'm going to say? Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. This is another uh, very misunderstood verse. And as I tell you guys, I don't sit here and say that um, I never misunderstood this verse. I have misunderstood this verse. Um, It's one of the reasons I'm grateful that not until I was older than 50 that people started recording my sermons because I don't want to hear what I would have said, you know, 25, 30 years ago, even 10 years ago. So it's not that I've never thought this, but, but I, I can see what people have, you know, what people say. Because what they seem to say is they, they, seem, to, they, they, they seem to think like, oh, that we, we have to have faith uh, and works. That's the point of this, and it's not the point of it. It's there, but it's not the point of it. See, the argument that's being proposed is that you can have faith or works. That's the argument that's being proposed. Those of you who come Wednesday night, you feel like geniuses right now because you heard all this and you know the background, right? Those of you who didn't, you're playing catch up. But faith or works, that's, the, that's what the person is saying. James is saying, uh-uh. He's saying it's, it's not a choice. It's not a choice. Oh, I have faith, but not works. You have works, but not faith. He's saying it's not a choice. You have to have both of them, you have to have both of them and you cannot just have both of them, they have to be properly related to one another, they have to be connected. You know I used a similar example before but, but if, if I tell you I have a new car and you come to my house and you see a car pieces of the car all over my carport in a sense I, I have a car but in another sense I don't have a car because the car is not properly connected and some people think that with Christianity I just have to have faith right beliefs and then I have to do the right things the right works and if I do those two things I'm good and James is saying no you, they have to be properly related to one another. They have to be properly connected. Now, you may not know that they were actually connected in your life. You may be thinking of them separately when they actually were connected. But James is making sure you understand that they're connected. And that's why he says, I will show you my faith by works. In other words, my works will verify my faith. They are connected to my faith. And he's, he's going to explain that a little bit more in the, in the next section. You see, you can't say like, oh, I'm really good, you know, I'm really good at being a worker bee. I'm that Martha. So I don't have to really be good at the faith thing. I don't really have to really understand anything more because I'm the worker so we'll entrust those other people the people that are more like you know intellectually inclined or whatever they, they, they can understand the faith more and you can't say it the other way you can't say like you know I, I understand things I study things I, I, I can really explain you know all of these doctrines and all the scriptures I can expound upon it but so I don't really have to do anything else. Uh, you know, that's for the that's for the workers. No. James is connecting them. It's not an option. You guys do faith, I'll do works. Or I'll do I'll do works, you do faith. It's interesting that um, I, I sometimes get the facts wrong, so uh, forgive me if I do. But, but in, um, in like colonial America, in Pennsylvania, um, these two towns still exist. They're Bethlehem and Nazareth. You guys might have heard of these. Okay, they're near Philadelphia. And, and how they started out is they started out as settlements of uh, this group called the Moravian Brethren. And they had come to the United, well, it wasn't the United States then, but they had come to America, you know, the continent from Europe um, to evangelize the um, Native Americans. That's why they came. That was their main mission. And so you had these, these two towns, these two settlements. One of them was where the missionaries were. So the people who are gonna become missionaries, studying to be missionaries, they were there. And the other one was the one that was the, the, the workers. They were the ones who were you know, starting industry. They were, they were kind of renowned for actually doing incredible woodwork and things like that, furniture, and all of those things that were needed. And so they would raise the money and then these, these other people would study and then they would send them down. I think even then, the workers weren't just working, they also understood their faith, because you can see how that would fall apart after a while. If I didn't really understand my faith, I didn't really understand that what I'm doing is connected to God's mission, I could quickly start saying like, why am I giving all this money to those guys who sit around looking at books all day? I mean, it could break down. But it's not something that I think is really sustainable. But this is something we think about in the church. So when he talks about the demons, he's saying, "That's how the demons think. The demons disconnect faith from what they do because what they do is evil, but they have faith. They do believe, they know who God is. They know what his plan is. They know his power, but they've, it's not connected to their works. It's one of the things that I've said for years, and I don't really think I've said it much here, but it's, it's the saying that, that the sermon, what I'm preaching today, this sermon is not preached until it's preached by the community of faith. Anything I say here, you know, God's word proclaimed here, it's not really preached until it's preached by you and by me in how we live. That's the final part. If I think that what I do today is the end, then, you know, I can say, I've said it, done. Okay, what's next? And I think, unfortunately, that's how a lot of pastors and a lot of churches treat you know, sermons. But if I'm thinking and you're thinking, this is not the end. This is part of the process along the way of God's word being proclaimed. I think you're going to listen differently. I think you may be scribbling down a lot more notes. I think throughout the rest of this day and through the next few days, you're going to be thinking about it differently. And by the way, it comes back on me too. I'm going to prepare differently. It's because I, you know, this is something that I really believe is from God's word and I'm going to see it lived out in the church. I'm not going to be careless with my words. I'm not going to just kind of mail it in one week because, you know, I just didn't have time. I was kind of tired. Faith works, connected. Not just me, you, all of us, together. Well, this last section, verse 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, By the way, James is still talking to this hypothetical person, the someone will say. So he says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Again, if you still have in your mind faith or works, okay, I don't know what to tell you (laughs) because that's totally wrong. But if you have the next level, faith and works, this doesn't make sense because it seems like they're competing with each other. It seems like James is, is saying, hey, no, 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 works justify, Works justify. That's not what James is saying. He's saying you have to have both and they have to be properly connected. Faith produces works. It's what James read from Ephesians earlier. It's what Paul says in Galatians 5, 6, where he talks about faith expressing love. And for Paul, love is not just an ooey-gooey feeling. It it results in actions. And James is saying, faith that does not produce works is not faith that reconciles us to God. Faith that does not produce works, and he's specifically talking about works of mercy, works of love. Faith that does not produce works is not faith that reconciles us to God. You see, you might have heard this said, and again, it's another thing that I probably have said. You've, you know, you've heard people say like, there's a head faith and there's a heart faith, and what we want is a heart faith. No, it's wrong. <laughs> It's not what James is saying. It's not what Paul says. It's not what Jesus says. It doesn't matter where your faith is located. It can be in your head, it can be in your heart, it can be in your head and your heart, it can be in your stomach, you know, your your bowels, which is what, you know, the you know, the way the Greeks understood things. It can be anywhere. It can be in your big toe for goodness sakes. The location is not important. What's important is this. Is that faith producing works of love and works of mercy in your life? And again, you may be thinking about, well, what about Paul? You know, Paul said the opposite. No, Paul didn't say the opposite. Because when Paul was talking about works, he wasn't talking about works of love and mercy, he was talking about works of the law. It's different. Don't have time to unpack all of that this morning. But just know there's a difference. But make no mistake. What James is saying, what Paul says, Jesus says, your faith will produce something in your life. It will produce works. And they will be the supernatural God-ordained works of love and mercy. that's the connection faith produces works works verify our faith confirm our faith it's not a difference between head faith and heart faith it's a question of what is that faith producing if you have all the that powerful feeling of faith in God and the presence of him in your life, and you feel that constantly, but it's not producing works, it's not reconciling you to God. If you have all the intellectual faith in, in your head and you understand and you can explain all these things, and it's not producing works, it is not the faith that reconciles to God. You see, when, when James is bringing up Abraham, he, he, he says that God accounted his faith as righteousness. You see, we've bought into a Christianity that says, I just gotta have faith, I just gotta say I believe, and it's almost like magic words. They, have, they can have no other effect on my life, but as long as I said it, as long as I really, really, really meant it at one point in my life, God is obligated to be reconciled to me. Even though the rest of my life, it doesn't do anything in my life. And that's a Christianity that's been sold, especially in the 20th century and 21st century, and especially in America. And that's why we have churches filled with people who think they can have faith and works are optional. And the better ones of us have faith and works. But very few of us have faith that's producing these works. And that's what James is saying, is the faith that reconciles. The faith that produces works. You see, Abraham had the faith first, and Paul points that out. But then he comes back and he says, but Abraham took action. And I told you when, you, when you really understand faith this way, people don't like it because it could lead you to some very uncomfortable things. I mean, look. Look at the example he uses. He could have used so many different examples of Abraham showing faith. Abraham showed faith just by leaving his, his area, his home area. He showed faith in so many other ways, but he chooses when God says, go sacrifice your son. See, when true faith gets a hold of us, it can lead us to some very awkward and weird and strange and scary places. But if we have faith, that's what's happening in our lives, you know what? Where else would we want to be? I mean, uh, so many of us, like, you know, as, as, as Baptists, like our heroes are our missionaries. And, you know, we, we hear about, you know, places they've, you know, they've gone in the past, you know, and, and even today. And some, some of these places are, are so dangerous and, and so weird and so strange. And, and we, you know, part of us is like, you know, what could compel you to do that? That's why we admire them. The question is, where else would you be? Where else would you be then where God's, that, that faith that God has given you, where it's leading you to be? I told you, there's part of me that does not like to go to Haiti. I get air motion sickness so easily. And the first time we went to Haiti, we had to take like the the Bush missionary planes to the mission, the mission site. I got, I, this was a condition of me going, I have to be in the bigger plane. My plane seated 10, okay? And, and like, I don't like that. You know, um, when, my, when two of my daughters went, And I'm glad my wife went because if I, if my wife hadn't gone and I told her what my daughters were doing, she would have been like so mad at me for not, you know, taking better care of my daughters. Oh, we're riding in the back of a truck standing up while we're going over these super terrible roads. They're riding, they're holding on like this on the back of an ATV for an hour long ride down a mountain. I mean, we're in cities where, you know, when we, when we stayed in the city where, you know, you don't venture out of the compound at night. That's where God's leading. There's no place I'd rather be. So understand, he's not saying works generate faith. He's saying faith produces Works. And he uses both Abraham and Rahab as examples of this. Rahab believes. She hears about the God of Israel, and she believes, and then she acts. Abraham does the same thing. And let me just tell you, part of the problem we have today among, you know, some of us, and, you know, I throw myself in sometimes with this is is we see people trying to work towards social change we see people trying to end oppression trying to you know improve the conditions of the impoverished and we see it and we rightfully judge some of what they're doing we question their motives and we should but here's the question what are you doing if I don't like what they're doing to stop racism, what am I doing? Better question, what is my faith, my true faith in God, directing me to do? Are you even wrestling with the question, or are you caught up in the world, you know, choosing which side? And judging the sides. Or are you saying, okay, God, You've placed me in a world and this is the problem. How do I live out this true faith? How do I love everyone perfectly all the time? How do I choose not just to love police officers or not just to to love, you know, African Americans? How do I learn to love them all perfectly all the time? And you might get it wrong. Matter of fact, you probably will. I know I will. But the question is, what are the actions? If the world's actions are wrong, if the world's movements are wrong, and they are, make no doubt. What are you doing? What are we doing? That's the question that should bug us. And so the faithful, they, they, they do the work of God. They do these works of love. They do these works of mercy. But they don't do them as separate. They do them because of the faith in their lives, that they've been transformed. And now they're living out that faith in every situation, with every person. It's placed in front of us. And my prayer is that, you know, that, that you know that. My prayer is many of you have never made this connection, but it's in your life. There are things you're doing right now that are not because it's you, it's because of the faith you have in Jesus Christ and the spirit and the transformation that's taking place. But maybe you just don't know it. And I pray God will confirm that in your life. For some of you, you've you've kind of accepted this dichotomy. It doesn't mean you're not Christians. It just means that you need to start asking the question, Where does my faith lead? What are the acts of love and mercy? Who are the most needy around me? And how am I responding?